Good morning and welcome to Entrepreneur Realities, the podcast of the Venture Lab of the Munich Technical University. My name is Antoine Le Boyer and I'm the Managing Director of the Software AI2 Venture Lab. We are joined today by Valentin Shehaz, who is the founder of Zentor, a mental health startup based in Munich. We met by being a speaker at the Global Tech Founder Conferences about mental health probably a few months ago, and I asked him to come to talk about this important topic, which is pursuit of happiness, and with the purpose of having, as we've done every year, festive podcasts for the end of the year. So, Valentin, welcome to Entrepreneur Realities. Thank you, Antoine, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Valentin, can you introduce yourself to our guest first? I'm, I'm happy to. My name is Valentin Shalhas, as you said. I am by training a psychologist, so I, I actually did study and did a dissertation on psychology, but ended up far away from that in the uh, like free economy. I was a, a consultant for a long time, I worked in the startup world, and about five years ago, I founded my own startup, Zentor, which is has the aim to be a, a mentor for the pursuit of happiness, and I think that's that's where we met. Now, if you remember, well, you worked at Bain. I was at Bain. One, one, of the top, one of the top three consultants here. Yeah, so I, but then you, you moved abroad. Can you explain about this? Yeah. Because I found this really fascinating. Yeah, happy to. Yeah, I, I always like to venture outside of, of the regular path. So I stayed at Bain for about seven and a half, eight years. Was already in San Francisco as well for two years with Bain, but came back to Germany, uh, was in various Startup roles. I was with West Wing for two years as marketing officer, Expertier, which is another recruiting platform, but came back again to my own roots and kind of like thought about what to do with my life, so to speak. I self-entitled midlife crisis about five or six years ago because I, I found that my, yeah, how should I say that? The roles I had before gave me certain perks and benefits and pleasures in life. And I was lucky enough to I have found my wife a long time ago already. We've been together for I think over 20 years, 25 years now. And we have a, a beautiful daughter. And I, I felt like I had checked all the boxes that I'm allowed to check and was lucky enough to check that, that we are taught to check in order to find happiness. But I felt five or six years ago, so I was missing something. That's like when I think my first couple of journeys outside the real world or outside the, the, the trodden path started and I began venturing in, in what, what makes happiness. And I think, I don't know, you were just asking, I think something about more recent, a trip to Mexico. I think that's what you were this referring to. Okay. But you, you see, I'm already thinking about other journeys I took. Let me get back to the Mexican trip in a second. But, uh, yeah. So five or six years ago, I kind of like ventured into all the areas that I could venture into and thought about like doing you know, psychoanalytical therapist uh, training, going as kind surfer in some remote village, going big corporate or going into my own startup and realized that I learned so much about myself and that the things I care about are not the things that are checked usually, that it has to be status, money, power, and these kind of things. And began venturing all these other things. And I think this is where we come back to your question where I said, like, more recently, I also just spent one and a half years in Mexico in a very small remote fisher village with my my, my wife and my daughters. She went to the, uh, the private primary school there and saw how little it takes to find happiness in that. And I think that kind of, like, re 
enforced my idea that it's not about state, it's not about power, not about money, at least for me. There's about some research on that. And yeah. So just, just to make sure, because you you in the presentation, you showed a couple of pictures that we can put on the podcast. You were in, uh, you know, with the consulting life yeah. of one of the best consultancy, one of the three best consultancy in San Francisco mm -hmm. with your family. And then I don't know what was the time in between place, but then you moved to a small village of 200 people, whatever. Yeah. So it's 2000 people, but yeah, there's, okay. there's like, but there's, there's eight years in between these okay. days. <laughs> but, but, but you moved and I don't know how long you stayed, yeah. but, but you were in a place which was, Totally at the opposite of this high tech yeah. world, high yeah. tech world where you were. And how long did you stay? And, 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 you know. Yeah. So I, how do you mean how, how long did I stay in San Francisco? No, so, how long do you stay in Mexico? In Mexico. Place? Yeah. yeah. So, I thought it was a bit of, yeah, you know, incubatory birth, but there was an engine maybe run after. Maybe. Yeah. I think that that Mexico experience was for sure something a change in that but i think it's been like it's been coming for a long time in that regard i think it's just like the uh the final result of of the thinking in between these was like eight years i think that's at least what happened so i was with bain as you said but i came back to germany i spent four more years also in the corporate or the startup world so to speak also with c-level roles somewhere else before i realized that like none of these roles gave me the fulfillment or the happiness in life that I was looking for and that it had to be somewhere else. And that's when I think that kind of like self-induced midlife crisis and, and, and uh, questions started and realized that it is something else. I, I, I first went into research. I think that's the first part that happened. Like part of the journey is like I thought, well, I studied psychology. I have a PhD in psychology. Plus I have experience in the, in the, in the free economy. I should be able to figure it out. Right? So that's, that's my, my more rational research approach. And I found a lot of interesting, interesting studies. I think one of the studies you, we, we talked about just before the podcast as well is there's a relationship between age, like how old you are and happiness in life or life satisfaction. And no surprise, like around 40, 45 years old is when you have the trough, the lowest point in, in usually in developed countries, at least. And that's like, uh, found and replicated many times uh, again. So that midlife crisis is a thing that's actually researched quite well. And it goes back up a little bit, generally less, but it goes back up a little bit. So that's one of the first studies I came across and said, like, okay, it's normal. Maybe some people have it earlier. So for me, it was like 35, usually it's around 45, but I found a lot of insights around what it takes to live a happy life. And I began finding a, my definition of what makes me happy. Right. And that was when I moved away from it's not status, it's not money. And there's actually a ton of research on that. Right. So that's like, once you have a certain threshold of us, it's usually that the study that's been done many times is 75,000 us dollars. I think there's a more modern version of that study done. Maybe it's a hundred thousand us dollars gross household income by now. Anything beyond that usually doesn't give you more happiness, right? So that's still a lot for many people, right? But it's not that it is not about being rich about these kind of things. It's not about that. Maybe a little bit of power, but the things that provide happiness have been known for thousands of years and they haven't really changed, but we don't, we don't learn them. We don't really know that there's no school subject in happiness. There's not even if you study psychology or do a PhD in psychology. Do you usually get in contact with these insights? And that was really surprising for me. And I learned so much about myself, about what the things are that 
that provide happiness that I needed to explore them myself, right? And that's how my own startup kind of like was founded because I realized there's nothing out there that helps people that might be in that situations that are in, in life-changing situations or like transition phases, however you call that. And midlife crisis, just one transition phase. And I wanted to provide something like for people that are similarly like rational thinkers that need the cognitive approach, they need that academic research approach for people to figure out how to find happiness. And only more recently, sorry, <laughs> I'm talking long. Only more recently did I realize as well that besides that rational approach, there's a lot of experiential, so the experiences, collecting experiences. And I think that's where that, that longer stay in Mexico helped me see that other side as well. So just like experiencing the moments and not just thinking about them and thinking what makes you happy, but feeling what it is, feeling the sun, feeling the ocean feeling like off difficult times. It's not, not all, not all sunny and shiny over there. There's the challenges you have, power outages, you have like mosquitoes, you have people that like the, the med- medical advancements are in that remote fissure, but it's difficult. If you have an injury there, the next hospital is three hours away, right? And we, we've been here with our daughter and things that keep you worried, right? So that because there's like animals, there's accidents that happen, these kind of things. But you experience the, the life in a more full range, I would say, than what you would do in, in the more streamlined experiences that we are experiencing here. There's a lot to unravel in what you've said. So, so could I come back first and, and ask you a little more in detail about this uh, data and this mm-hmm. curve that you presented mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. age and happiness? Can we start earlier and not rush to the midlife crisis? <laughs> Could you give a little bit of element? Because that was absolutely fascinating. So you're asking about my personal experience? No, I'm, I'm asking about the research that you've done okay. to find yeah. to, to, to time to quantify yeah. And correlate happiness with yeah. age because the stages were also very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's like, there's a ton of research also on like, there's that curve correlates with certain stages in life, as you said. Like, so there's something where you like the youth, Sturm und Drang phase, as in German they say, like, where you, where you explore a lot of things. And then as you progress in your career and you move forward or you study and then you decide for one career path and you progress in the career path, then you have family transitions and later and so on. And it's very typical that in that midpoint, there is that trough because these stages happen where you realize you might have succeeded in part of your beginning career. And it's clear that maybe that success doesn't give you the satisfaction or the happiness that you would expect it to be. Plus, you have stress around that. You have a feminist situation that you might have to deal with. So these are kind of the stages that you have. Which means basically that at this, this midlife, this is where younger people could say, hold on, the, the midlife people have got, you know, a job, a house, a family, yeah. things that make them unbelievably fulfilled. And something is, 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 is yeah. not happening. Yeah. This is what happens. Yeah, I think it's like... The, the symbols we believe that would make us happy or the achievements not necessarily turn out to make us happy, right? That's the thing. I'm going to be 62 at the end of this year. Am I happier than when I was 20? I need to ask you that question. <laughs> Are you happier? Well, are more people going to be happy at, uh, at the age of 62 than they would be at the age of 20, in other words? 
That is a very hard question to unravel. I, th- I think there's the, the other big life transition that happens is into retirement. And that's actually, I think, an even more difficult one than the transition into midlife crisis. So that's actually one of the first customers we kind of looked into as we began to think about a business model for our mental happiness into the transition to retirement. And for people that identify with their job very strongly, that transition is going to be even harder than a midlife crisis. So okay. um, I'm not trying to scare you, I don't know that well, but that's not going to be an easy one. But I think what you're doing is quite remarkable in that way because you're connecting to new ideas to young people that have entrepreneurial thoughts. And I, I don't think you will ever, the way I, I envision you, I don't think you will ever fully retire. I think you will always tap your toes into other ideas. So that's a, that's a different thing. We'll see in 10 years. <laughs> exactly. Coming back, a lot of the, the people that listen to this podcast are uh, students and yeah. future entrepreneurs at the university. Yeah. So people which are much younger than yeah. you know than you and even more from yeah. me. What would be the, the the lessons for them? What how how should they define what could be the goals of happiness for yeah. them? So I think in trying to answer that question, we try to define happiness, which is not an easy thing. And one of the definitions that works for me and that I think we spoke about as well is that I would define happiness that whenever you're experienced reality, so the moments you experience day to day, they at least match or exceed the expectations you have, then you experience a moment, a moment of happiness. And that sounds a little trivial, but I think there's a lot of depth in that definition. The first one is when I talk about expectations, I don't mean what I specifically and consciously expect in that moment, but it's something that I subconsciously assume will always be there. And I always will only realize it's not there if it, if it gets, gets disappointed, right? So that's when I realize, okay, something did not happen as expected. So that's one. And just becoming aware of these subconscious assumptions and making them like very conscious expectations might already be one strategy to improve one's happiness you ask for like what takeaways for that right so that that means like the more i become ex- um, conscious about what i actually expect and what i want the more i can generate options to experience moments of happiness or even just become aware of that this might be a happy moment so like the classic example is like if i walk beautiful day today and there's the sun outside and i just realize that something's happening there's the sun shining it's on my face and i, I really enjoy that and I realize, okay, that's something that maybe even exceeds my expectations. I can live a happy moment. So that's one definition. The second definition I think that is included in there is that happiness is not a permanent state. It's not that I can be fully happy all the time. Actually, happiness is a moment I experience, which makes sense also from a biological point of view, because like happiness is the release of endorphins, neurotransmitters. They get washed out again. So I need to have a downward curve, so to speak, right? A, a downward side in order to be able to feel happiness again biologically, but also in order to appreciate the happiness that I have. Because if my happiness would stay or my experience stays at the same level, what happens is my subconscious assumptions will rise. That means consciously it will rise and rise and rise up to the point that the expectations will meet what I experience in the moment. And once that happens, I automatically get unhappy again. There's a lot of research on that, actually. The psychologists call it habituation. So people get habituated to what they already have. 
That's the reason why it's very easy to get accustomed to the good life, all the perks and benefits you have. And it gets much harder to lower your living standards and still be happy. And there's a couple of things in there. When, when you and I were at this conference, we asked questions, there was a sense that for a number of people, this was the increase in the quality of life, not the absolute level where they were, but the increase in quality in which they would associate with, I don't know, happiness. And that's probably the opposite of what you are, you are saying in many ways. It's not the delta which makes, you know, the, the fact of adding more delta which makes you more happy. Yeah, it's, it's, you can do both, right? You can, you can lower the expectation. That's how you create that delta, so to speak, right? And the other is you create opportunities for experience and happen moments. Sometimes it's not even, you don't even need to create the opportunities. You just need to be aware of what's happening because we, we get stuck on our screens and our phones and we don't see the world around us. So sometimes we, we don't realize what it is. And there's tons of research that like the social media dopamine rush is not the equivalent of a happy moment. It's like, it's a fake, very short lived one, but that's one way. So again, and, and you just said something that's also very relevant and true. Like people don't experience happiness on a absolute reference. So it's not always like there's a certain zero point where you can reference it above it's positive uh, below it's negative. We always compare and we compare to us what we happened yesterday, right? And if it's already good yesterday, I'll need that delta in order to increase. Or I compare myself to my partner, my colleague at work, my, my neighbor who has the bigger car, these kind of things. We always compare to something else, right? We tend to pick not the most favorable comparisons because we pick the ones that are appealing, which is more difficult for us, right? So that's always in that comparison. We also, in that way, raise our expectations in order to feel that delta. And what I'm saying is like, you can, you can actually start working on, on lowering expectations by just by becoming aware of them and turning an expectation into a hope. I like the concept of translating that at the moment it becomes conscious and saying like, instead of expecting, I hope it, that already increases that possibility to to increase that. And the second one is just to be becoming more aware of the moments uh, I already live. And the third one, obviously, is like to create more opportunities for that. But these are strategies for more more happiness. If we stay on, on these elements about lowering expectations, mm-hmm. it should be something that should be at the opposite of, you know, many entrepreneurs who we work with at the university would aim at because they are aiming at things which are unbelievably big and difficult. So how they do to be unhappy because of the fact of trying to aim very high? There's two elements of that. I like the idea of having a a guiding light, so to speak, like a North Star that has to be really, really ambitious because on the other hand, we need motivation and, and, and impetus in order to, to move forward, right? Because the opposite, uh, again, of happiness also stands. That's another concept. Like there are many, I just spoke about the definition that is above the expectations, but how do you create moments of happiness? You create moments of happiness through mainly through three sources. The first one is having some sort of purpose, having meaning in life. The second is some form of energy, something you feel very passionate about. And the third one is being with social animals is some form of appreciation or love from others. So these are the, the sources that can create these moments of happiness. And the more moments, moments of happiness I experience compared to the unhappy moments, the more happy or fulfilled is my life. And in order to find these happy moments, I like that high ambition. I like that 
striving for something. So I wouldn't say that they necessarily feel unhappy. They have a higher risk of burnout. So there's research on that. So because if you set that very high goals, the likelihood that you're going to fail is going to time again. But it's on the way you will also have moments where you get closer to that. And that means you will exceed that expectation because I don't think that people that are ambitious and that are entrepreneurs, they expect to be fully successful in that. They just have a vision that is so appealing that they see that as a future aim for that. That's not what they admit in the vault. So I don't, I don't think that they should be. I think they sometimes, yeah, stop there. <laughs> One other thing that we see even with university-led startup is that very often many of the founders have already had two or three entrepreneurial mm-hmm. experiences. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that you, you work with some, some of them. As part of their, their repeat entrepreneurial experience, have them managed to learn how to adapt their expectations accordingly? In other words, do you see them also learning not only in a technical element or understanding how startup work, how you manage certainty, you raise funding, but also how you manage yourself? I think so. I think there's like that first time entrepreneurial experience, like it is an absolute roller coaster of emotions. Like you have the, the, incredible highs when you realize you're getting closer to the big vision but other times you have the devastating experiences if you have like last minute your funding gets pulled or you have a big client that says like one day before no we're going to cancel these kind of things and that the breadth of emotions that 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 experience the second time it's not that novel anymore. It's still, it's incredible, but I think you manage that self, that emotional self-regulation gets bigger, right? Gets better, so to speak. And so in a way, I think, yes, like repeat entrepreneurs are a little bit more accustomed to that roller coaster of emotions and are slightly less affected by it. Maybe in the positive negative sense, but I think like the first time speaking from my own experience, also the first time experience is almost too big, right? So it's like, I think that repeat entrepreneurs, they are a little bit more seasoned on that. It's still big, big emotional swings, but I think it's, they, they learn that as well. I agree. This totally matches my experience. So I'm very glad to, to hear this. Valentin, we are arriving at the, at the end. I'm looking at the watch. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you the classic last question that we ask all our guests? Do you have any advice for our listeners? I, I really like the concept of thinking in of life as a, like a journey of experiments and that the concept of an experiment entails that it doesn't necessarily need to succeed because with an experiment, you, the success metric is to learn something and to try something out. And I think it's not about like, that sounds a little like trivial to say like, it's about the journey, not about the end result, but there is a lot of truth to that. In particular, the, the concept of experiments helps you think in terms of action and doing and trying something rather than thinking about this. And I've, I'm, I am living my way, my life in a little bit the way that I try also like the, the, the experience, uh, experiences as experiments. But for example, our trip to Mexico was an experiment for us. If that works as a family. And in this case, it was a really great experiment, experiment because we not only learned about a lot of things, but we enjoy a more rich psychological rich life. But keeping that, you don't need to have an experiment that is like one and a half years long. You can have experiments that are like one week, two weeks kind of things, but just trying to figure out things that might create some sort of purpose, like things that relate to 
what makes me unique, what are my strengths and my weaknesses or my, my characters, applying this to something bigger than myself. This is where purpose comes from. So just trying this out or something I feel really passionate about, where I feel a lot of energy, motivation, or something that will enable me to ex- get maybe appreciation from others. And just trying out small steps in in small experiments that might be a couple of weeks long, maybe finding buddy to do it with, that is the appreciation part, it's always good. I love that. And I think that's a lot of entrepreneurial listeners, if you have them, they have their mindset anyway, just like it's like that, that doing is almost as good as uh, is even better than just thinking about it and that running that as experiments and then not not being disappointed if the end result others might consider a failure but you learn something which is not a failure right? and I like that concept thank you very much entrepreneuriality is available on major podcast platform where you can find other inspiring presentation Do subscribe if you like this podcast and want to hear more. Do give us a rating. Let your friend know about it. And we look forward to having you for more entrepreneurial abilities.